BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, this is SupDoc. Thanks for joining us. And we have a very special SupDoc show today because we have our producer, Will Scoville, joining us. Hey, how's it going? And co-host George Chen is here. Hey, everyone. And what we're doing is we're actually having just an informal discussion about some of the documentaries that we've seen lately, and we want to talk to each other about them. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be just a hostful episode. (laughs) Uh, What we've got going on is, I, I don't know... I, you want to tell me about something that I haven't seen. Yes. And I'm going to tell you about something you haven't seen. Right. And I think that's like, you know, the way the show can go. Uh, usually, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by uh, something you haven't seen is a doc. And I want to talk about the 2015 documentary, Finders Keepers. And what's the problem there? I got a human foot. Have a what? A human foot. And it's some nasty got me grossed out. I'd seen the grill and ended up buying it. And I opened the grill up, and there's a foot, you know, five toes and five toenails. Has a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The preview is, is amazing. The preview will suck you in. It's Actually, it's a really good documentary. It's classic because it's good versus evil. It's rich versus uh, poor. It's uh, a guy who wants to be a famous actor and a comedian versus a guy who's gone through a lot of uh, personal problems. Okay, so just watching the preview, it mm-hmm. starts with a guy gets a leg <laughs> in a barbecue grill at <laughs> a storage right. unit, yes. right? yes. Okay, so how does that lead to a guy being a comedian and everything else? Good question. About? Well, so our, I guess I'm going to call him our hero, but uh, our hero uh, finds, he, he buys a grill through a, um, like a sale, like, so essentially um, his name's Shannon Wisnant, Wisnant. Uh, he bought a grill through a storage locker sale. Yeah, just like that TV show, Storage Wars or whatever. Oh. Yeah, like Storage Wars. He bought a grill, and he got it home, and when he opened the grill top, boom, there was a leg in there. Okay, now describe that. No, a le- like a human leg. A human leg. A human yeah, leg. describe. What, it, what is it like? Preserve? Is it like mummified? It is, because... Okay, so this is it's such a crazy story. So, we'll backtrack a little bit. Um, <laughs> the guy who lost... The guy who owned the leg... Previously, his name is John Wood. This is all takes place in, in North Carolina. Now, did he own the leg or was it his leg? Both. Okay. Yeah. A little from column A, a little from column B. Do we own ourselves? Well, does a- the government Alan own us? Watts would say no. Yeah. There's, we're like a leaf coming out of a tree. Is that the, we, is that the LSD guy? Uh, Alan was, yeah, he's like a Western uh, philosopher. I call him the LSD guy. Yeah. <laughs> or is that, you're thinking of, um, you're thinking of, um, not a different the, Alan? 
Yeah, you're thinking of the um, Alan Sherman. Uh, Alan Sherman, the, Jew, the Jewish guy, Alan Sherman. I'm Alan Strickland Williams. Um, <laughs> yes, you are. Anyway, so human leg. Let's John, get back to it. John Wood uh, is flying with his family in a plane, and they get into a plane accident, a plane oh. crash, and he loses his leg in the plane crash. He oh. wants the leg to remember the plane crash. And because his dad, his beloved father, died in the plane oh. crash, and he blamed it on himself. John wanted to keep the leg in kind of remembrance to his dad, and, and John also was going through a lot of uh, drugs and alcohol problems. Okay. So he wanted, and so he self, he had, the, the leg was amputated. He asked the doctor if he could get it back. He wanted to keep it like you would oh, if you lost man. your tooth as a kid, and you're like, I want to put it in a jar. So the doctors gave him back the leg, but it wasn't preserved. Uh They gave it back to him like in a Ziploc bag. A raw leg. Just a raw leg, yeah. And so John preserved it himself, his amputated leg. He was filling it with like formaldehyde himself with like a syringe. (laughs) So then fast forward, uh, John has to put all of his stuff in a storage locker because he becomes homeless basically because oh, he's so uh, he's got such a troubled life. Yeah. I mean, the plane crash, his dad dying, everything all else. Painkillers. And, and he stuff. grew up fairly privileged. Mm-hmm. Like his family were fa- fairly well off. Was it a private plane? Like, it was a private was like plane. A, yeah, so it was just him and his dad in it? Yeah. Well, oh. there's a couple other people, but his dad died. His dad's the only one died. And um, so he had to put everything in a storage locker. Then he uh, became kind of homeless and stuff, and he forgot to pay the rent on it. Oh. And so they sold the storage locker. He would kept it in the barbecue grill because it would drain, and it would drain into the barbecue grill. <laughs> oh, right? okay. So it's... <laughs> It was one of those ones with the yeah. Op- yeah. So, um, oh, long comes Shannon oh. Wishnant, who grew up poor oh, in the man. the hollers of North Carolina, and he bought the barbecue grill. And when he brought it home, he opened it to find <laughs> a human leg. In right. It. So John or Shannon rather had always fancied himself a would be actor or a comedian, and he always knew he was going to become famous. He always knew it, right? Mm-hmm. He saw this leg as his ticket, his leg up, if you will, his ticket to stardom, and um, started basically having a roadside attraction with it. So it was like, come see the leg. He became known as the leg guy. So was there like a news story, like a local news many. story about him? And then he yeah. kind of, okay. There were many news stories about him. Um, and then he also had like a website and stuff, and he became known as the leg guy. Mm-hmm. And it was like adults five bucks, children two bucks, wow. and you'd go into his garage and he would show you the leg. Um, and then um, basically John Wood wanted his leg back. So he saw it like on a news uh-huh. story or something. It was like, oh, that sounds like the storage unit I gave up. Yeah, and he wanted his leg back. And now, are these guys living in the same town or? Yeah, a right or they know each other from from even from back in okay like, as kids. Because okay. at one point, Shannon, the guy who gets the leg from the grill, is saying like, "Well, John Wood had everything. His family was rich. Yeah, they had planes. They had horses. You know, they had everything you're gonna need." Um, and he just thought it was like, you know, heaven sent to him and that it was going to be his way to get out of poverty and obscurity and into um, stardom, mm-hmm. right? But it, it becomes this like this parallel between the two because Shannon grew up, you find out that he had a really hard childhood. He grew up really poor. You know, John had everything, uh, grew up kind of rich. Um, and then there was this like, this like mix, this like, 
you know, they changed places. They, and, they flipped. They mm-hmm. did a Aykroyd and uh, Murphy. Right. And yeah, they did. Yeah. And it's great because this documentary, it's what it's one of those kind of documentaries I love so much. I love slices of Americana and you don't get more slices of Americana than this documentary. A literal slice. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> a literal slice. And it, it's funny. <clears throat> it's kind of gross. Uh, it's... Um, kind of it's sad it's mm-hmm. it's funny it's it's touching um and it's also like has many different struggles between rich and poor and in the how the media plays into it too i mean mm-hmm. they at some points they go on talk shows they even go in front of judge brown oh really uh, yeah they wow. go to la uh. and judge brown says that john wood should have his leg back so john gets his leg back and um the story unfolds from there and it's by the guys who like ed cunningham who did king of kong oh, oh wow okay yeah. mm-hmm. which that's love interesting because that that movie is like all about two rivalry rival yeah. personalities and really class. Yeah. um yeah Plays and so is this does this play out with like putting one personality uh against because it sounds like what's his name who found the leg has that big personality he wants to be famous um, so does it play on that? It, it sure does. Okay. It sure does, wow. Will. And at one point, a t- he gets hired to be on a reality TV show. Mm. And he's very excited. Because think about... This is a guy who grew up basically in a trailer park in the, the back areas of North Carolina, wants to be famous and wants to be a comedian. He gets called up by a Hollywood production team and they come to where he's at and but they make him a fool. Yep. They yeah. play him for of a course. fool. Yep. Of, of course. course they are going yeah. to. Yeah. And um, so he, they have him trying to auctioneer mm-hmm. a replica of the famous leg from A Christmas Story. <laughs> you oh. know the lamp leg? Yeah. Fragile? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, so they show him holding it up and trying to auction it off. And he realizes then that they're just playing him for a fool. Yeah. This yeah. reminds me that I just got a storage unit and I have to make sure that I have the payments up to date. Because yep. that's always been like, I haven't had a storage unit forever. There's a whole. I got broken into. There's a whole oh, reason, list reason of why I have a storage unit, but yeah, I was just like when I I've seen Storage Wars before, and like this is when I saw the preview. I'm like, well, there's gonna be a serial killer involved in this. This is much more upbeat than that, but it yeah. also sounds like not really. Uh, it's like it sounds like uh, I was thinking it was gonna be this like murder mystery thing, right? But it's even oh, okay. weirder. The guy whose leg it is is actively participating, yeah, in the in the story. And there's a great twist at the end, like all great documentaries. Well, I won't share here. Let's sh- don't spoil it. Yeah, yeah I don't. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it yet. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't want to spoil it. Um, and and it's great. It's a great documentary. I recommend it to people. It's on Netflix. Yeah, wonderful. Finders keepers. That's awesome. Well, the first time I saw Leon, I, I liked to come unglued because he had long hair and I wasn't used to it. <laughs> what do you think about long hair now? I love it. My husband was growing it and I'm falling in love with him again. Because <laughs> he's got long hair. <laughs> I figure that's everybody's their own business. <laughs> I know, but you look awful cute with your long hair. Uh, I... A couple months ago, when it was in theaters, caught a poem as a naked person, which is Les Blanks. Uh, it's I guess it's a posthumous release. He filmed it uh, in the seven in the mid seventies, and I guess seventy five, seventy six, and it sat around for forty years. Didn't oh, wow. get a release, and I'm not totally sure why. It sounds like a lot of it was because it's about Leon Russell, the musician. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of people in it, like 
like Willie Nelson's in it. Uh, a bunch of people make appearances. So it might have been an issue of getting rights clearances. Maybe. And I didn't know so much about... Uh, and, Will, you you know more about Les Blank than I do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know... Um, I know he was around that Leon Russell, because Leon Russell had that Oklahoma connection. Oh, okay. Which is where I'm from. He's from Tulsa, uh-huh, from right. Oklahoma City. But mm-hmm. like he was a well-known, you know, well-known. I yeah, I know in musician. Bay Area. Yeah, but he was. Oh, you talking about Leon? Leon, yeah, yeah Leon. But Wes Blank had that, um, and I haven't. And so this is about Leon Russell specifically, or it is following Leon Russell and his band on tour in the mid '70s, and it's this kind of interesting. I'm like, is it going to be this total bacchanalia, mm-hmm. probably? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know much about Leon Russell's music. Uh, Les Blank, I kind of know from like going to like down home music mm-hmm. in Albany. It, which is an or El Cerrito. It's this old timey music store. Yeah. They have a lot of his DVDs. He has a lot of Bay Area connections, and, and you know he did a lot of documentaries about kind of Americana and yeah. food culture. Well, he lived in in Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, until he died recently in 2013, I guess and, he passed away. Um, they just released a box set through Criterion. Oh, wow. uh, Of a bunch of his shorter stuff. Uh-huh. I think it had like Gap Tooth Women. And the one about garlic, <coughs> the oh, garlic right. one, yeah, the garlic, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but in there was one called the Maestro, um, mm-hmm. which was about a Berkeley resident who used to come into the coffee shop I work at. Oh yeah, um, and I didn't know who he was. I just thought he was a crazy dude. So you've seen the Maestro? I I, I eventually watched it. It's on mm-hmm. Hulu right now, and um, oh, it's cool. incredible. So it's like a half hour, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it, I get to see old Berkeley before I ever moved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's it's old a, Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. And he's a uh, a really interesting character who's still sticking around. And yeah, he's a very Berkeley character, which I appreciated. Well, what all I know about this is uh, Les Blank's son Harold Blank, who also is a filmmaker and uh, art car enthusiast, worked on getting the clearances for this for, for years. Uh-huh. Mm. So it finally saw light of day posthumously for Les Blank. But a lot of people say it's like his finest work. A lot of people, he considered it his masterpiece yeah. in his own personal mind. Um, it's just a lot of like slice of life stuff happening mm-hmm. on a tour. And also just like the decadence of the 70s tour. Uh, it, it's not like, it, there's a lot of stuff where the camera crew is like in there. Yeah. I'm thinking about like how we just did Gimme Shelter a little while ago. Uh-huh. And how this is like also... I mean, the Stones have such. Well, that's a very it has a very dark ending. Obviously, well, Gimme can, Shelter does. You can also compare the kind of disaster that was in Gimme Shelter to the kind of disaster that was Fitzgeraldo because mm-hmm. he did uh, Burden of Dreams as well. Right. Yeah. Les uh, Blank right. did that. Yeah. So right. like that is also kind of. Mm-hmm. He's attracted like, to chaos. It seems like. Yeah. And yeah. portraits. Like. And, yeah. Yeah. He's like a portraiture. Yeah, I would say but, but not. The maestro yeah. is not chaotic at all. No, it's it's actually it's a very like uplifting portrait of someone who's very interesting. And, yeah, and there's really not anything bad well, about him. There's a lot of characters in this movie. It is a Leon Russell's whole crew, but there's uh, this guy uh, who's an underground artist named Jim Franklin who's just painting this swimming pool, and like they're building a, a recording studio. Mm-hmm. There's um. It gives you like a flavor of the time and like a very southern kind of flavor yeah. of the time. And because when I think of like that period of like 70s, 60s rock, it, I just tend to gravitate towards like West Coast. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't necessarily like learn a lot about Leon Russell as a person, but I, 
it, so it was more about not necessarily his life and career. It it's was not just like this specific it's, time. It's in completely his. like fl- it's kind of fly on the wall, but yeah. also like involved. Right. Like they're like you see the crew a lot of the time. Right. They all seem like they're just kind of hanging out together. It was kind of a style then too in the yeah. mid uh-huh. early the mid seventies. Like those documentaries all seem to have that kind of style. Yeah, where you see the crew, you see them talking uh-huh. to the subjects. You know, yeah, like they're really involved. There's a lot of weird, like, side things. Like, they go to a wedding. Like, I think one of the band members gets married in the middle of it. And then just there's, like, a little kid who sees the camera and starts singing to the camera. There's really good concert footage. Leon with, like, this, you know, American hat on. American flag hat. Yeah. So, it's interesting because I, I think I need to look at it in a whole... Uh, as an example of something in the entire Les Blank yeah. canon to really see how it fits in. Like, why did he identify so strongly with this one? Uh-huh. And it might just be that it was this, like, kind of white whale thing that never got a release. And that he, you know, he's just like, oh, the best thing I ever did. No one's seen it in my lifetime. And uh, I, I, you know, saw it in the theater and I enjoyed a lot of it. And I was like, I'm glad I'm getting to see this thing that's been held back for like 40 years. But I didn't necessarily feel a strong emotional attachment to it because it's not like music that I... It's hard with music docs. If you don't care about the music that yeah. much and you don't care about the story too much, it's just like a lot of snippets of things. So uh, I think worth watching, but like uh, some some of the praise for it, some people... This guy, uh, Alex Papadamus and Grantland said it was the greatest documentary Greatest rock documentary he's ever seen. Mm, wow. He says comparable to Don't Look Back or Cocksucker Blues. So, I, you know, I would say even if you don't know much about Leon Russell, it's like good as like a slice of life of like the mid 70s mm-hmm. and what rock and roll life was like. Um, I don't know. I felt kind of neutral about it. Like now that I'm talking about it, <laughs> I feel like it was it was more just like the fact that it had been held back yeah. for so long. Yeah. Piqued my curiosity. What propelled you to watch it? Uh, because it had been, I'd seen these write-ups about it, and it was in a theater. I watched it in Berkeley on a like a Friday night. It was just like, uh, um, I was just like wondering what it was going to be like because it had so much hype built around it. Right. Um, and can you see this on Netflix or anything yet? Is it? I don't think you can yet. So it got uh, Janice uh, uh, Films reissued it. All right. And it's... Okay. Um, so it might be... Because um, I know Criterion has been... They have a relationship with Janice and then... Yeah. Um, and then they have released that big set of Les Blank documentaries. It should have a DVD release, yeah. I believe. Um, but yeah, not knowing a lot about Leon Russell, maybe... Maybe I don't know. I th- feel like it maybe like kept me from like fully right appreciating it all the way. Are you a Leon Russell fan? Yeah, I like Leon Russell. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Have you heard anything about this documentary for years? No, I've never heard. The only time I had heard about it is when the Cine family, uh, Jody, did the screening. Did the screening about it? Yeah, and uh, and it piqued my interest then. But I had never heard. I am a big fan of Les Blanks, but I've never. Heard yeah, about this. I think I just need to. It makes me want to check out all the other stuff he's done. There's definitely a lot of weird interviews with people, mm-hmm. like just side interviews with people that aren't in the band or just like audience members or just seeing the crowds. And I find all that stuff more interesting anthropologically uh-huh. yeah. in a certain way than. Uh, and the performances are great too, but I find that stuff really interesting. So I think for that reason, it's worth 
checking out. Uh-huh. But um, not being, a, you know, it made me appreciate Leon Russell a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, um, he did the uh, Leon Russell and uh, Elton John mm-hmm. did that album together, which I always thought was great. Yeah. We saw Elton John. At Outside Lands. Yeah. Oh, did you guys stick around for that? Yeah, we saw, yeah, yeah Will went home, but uh, when we <laughs> interviewed Dan Deacon, we got to see Elton John for free. Yeah. And it was like listening to the radio very far away. Yeah. And everything was projected on a giant screen behind he him. He seemed like everyone's favorite English aunt. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he and was, Gertrude. He, he played well. His voice was great. Was I just felt like I didn't need to be there. I felt right. like I might as well listen to this That's recorded. how I feel about a lot of big rock concerts. You know, like I gotta say, uh, you know, Dan Deacon's show, he really like amazing. He is he's such a live performer and he just integrates the audience into his mm-hmm. into his act. Yeah. So uh that was my takeaway from Outside Lands. Not that we're reviewing Outside Lands, but <laughs> So would you would you recommend people see uh a poem? I gotta say it felt a little long to me, but it's like watching a music thing about a musician you don't particularly know right. anything about can be hard. Um but yeah, I would still recommend it because uh, it is. Cons- I I don't know. I I think I'd still recommend it as a slice of the '70s in rock culture. And so the full title is a poem is a naked person. Poem is a naked person. <laughs> cool. There was, uh, of course, an individual by the name of Andreas uh, Strassmeyer, which came out through uh, through the news. There was an association with uh, Timothy McVeigh, where they had met in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, both of them, uh, I think, discussed ideology and uh, had uh, some similar views. But as far as the an actual overt act with Andreas uh, Strassmeyer, there was no identification to, to that effect. Well, uh, what do you got for us? Um, I uh, and this kind of you know unfortunately ties into some stuff that's going on now with uh, the the Planned Parenthood shooting that just happened. Oh, yeah. um, I I grew up in Oklahoma City. Uh, I was there when uh, the, when Timothy McVeigh blew up uh, the Murrah Building. Uh, my bank was in that building. Oh. I'd been in that building many times. My dad was a um, my dad was a garbage man at the time, and he worked on the cleanup. My father-in-law was a fireman who was one of the first responders. Wow. So it's a very, you know, it's a very, you know, personal thing and part of my growing up that I found this documentary on YouTube called Terror from Within. Um, and it examines the larger uh, 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 white supremacist uh, terrorist organizations, uh, homegrown domestic terrorism in the United States, uh, kind of going through the 80s uh, and the 90s and kind of wrapping up with uh, the uh, trial for Timothy McVeigh. Interesting. Do you know what year this one came out? Uh, this came out in 02. And okay. now this uh, this was by Jason Van Vliet, who um, did uh, the Waco, A New Revelation, which I have not seen yet. I hear that's pretty interesting, too. Um, but this one, what really like got me into this was not necessarily the stuff about Oklahoma City, which really wasn't the focus of the whole thing. It was the the development of this uh, this one main uh, terror cell uh, that was happening in, I think, southeast Oklahoma, like through the 80s um, and into the 90s. And they talked about how there were these, um, you know, it was some white supremacists, some Christian uh, extremists uh, who were kind of using this campground in southeast Oklahoma as like a tra- military style training base. So when you're thinking about like uh, an ISIS style training camp, 
this was exactly the same thing just for domestic terrorists in my home state while I lived there, um, which is kind of freaky. Mm -hmm. Um, And they talked about a previous attempt uh, uh, to uh, blow up the Murrah building in 1985. Now, this is all coming from like... FBI sources, uh, journalists, and this is all public record now. Mm-hmm. And the thing that they're really, the, the, the kind of thing that they're trying to tie up at the end is saying, like, this is the unanswered question is, who is John Doe number two? That's kind of what it ends up being. Okay. But the journey there is really what's amazing. John Doe number two is, like, working with McVeigh? Or well, John Doe number two is, uh, there was uh, three people arrested for um, uh, the bombing of Oklahoma City. Timothy McVeigh, who actually set the bomb off. Right. Terry Nichols, who was the co-conspirator, and Michael Fortier, who who he and his wife, actually, I guess four people were arrested. Michael Fortier and his wife mm-hmm. knew it was going to happen, but didn't do anything to stop it. Okay. And they were friends with McVeigh and Nichols. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of witnesses. The FBI did release a, uh, a couple of sketches of this John Doe number two, oh, okay. who was not Terry Nichols, who was not Michael Fortier. Uh, but was somebody else who they have, to this day, never caught. Mm-hmm. Um, this tries to connect Timothy McVeigh and the bombing of the Oklahoma City, or of the uh, Murrah building, uh-huh. with this training camp through this specific person mm. who was working at the training camp mm-hmm. as, a, as basically the head of military operations. They're trying to say this might be John Doe number two. Right. There is not enough evidence to say that he is... Um, so it's a, but the whole journey and the kind of unraveling of what was going on behind, you know, this very well documented rise of right wing terrorism within the United States, um, like the a major informant for the ATF was this debutante from Tulsa, mm. who had gotten into to far right neo Nazi stuff, was at this camp in Oklahoma. There's video footage of her there that they show in the documentary. Video footage of from the camper's point of view. I mean, who shot the video? It is. It was a. It was a recruitment video from this mm-hmm. from this camp, which they they have also recruitment videos that look just like ISIS recruit recruitment of videos. Course, it is insane. Yeah, like their, been, their faces that's... are covered. They're yelling at the camera, but it's all in English, which right. is that's incredible. Old school. Yeah. Um, uh, she had been raped by a prominent member. Uh, went to the FBI. They said, "Why don't you become an informant?" Oh. Um, and she did for a long time. Wow. So a lot of this information came, came was, was coming from the ATF and the okay. FBI saying, oh. we got this information from her. We have wow. corroborating evidence. So it is not a conspiracy theory documentary. It's as all, a lot facts. of these like loose change and stuff mm-hmm. kind of right. end up being. It is a, these are the facts. This is a question that's still open. This may be the answer, but we don't have enough evidence to... Look at right. that. And it's mm-hmm. Let me ask you a couple questions. Sure. For those, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago, 1995, yep. right? For There's probably people who are going to be listening who don't know what the Murrah building yeah. was. So can you explain? Uh, the Murrah building was a, a, a federal building uh, that has several federal offices. My credit union was in there, which is why I would go in there. Um, and it's, it's kind of strange. My dad helped build the building when he was in construction. He helped mm-hmm. take it away when he was a garbage man. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, so it was a federal building where, and the FBI, I believe, no, FBI uh, was further in town. Uh, the CIA, I believe, had an office there. Mm-hmm. I think ATF had an office there. It was chosen specifically because the... They're anti-federalists. They're anti-federalists. This is a certain building mm-hmm. uh, away from somewhere like New York or something that housed 
uh, enough offices of federal agencies, a variety of federal agencies, right. that they could do some damage to those right. offices. And unfortunately, they also had a uh, kinder care. They had a, a child daycare, yeah, daycare on, the fir- on the first floor, yeah. basically right by where the bomb, it's just the, the epicenter of that. So Timothy McVeigh loaded up a, a fertilizer bomb in a Ryder truck, parked it in front, and blew it up. Right. And it was, and if like he was... Remotely, yeah. No, he lit a fuse like while he well, was in the car, and he, and he got ran. the hell out of there. Yeah, yeah, and he did. He got the death penalty. He did. He's yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah they, they killed so him. What about the other people? Did they uh, Terry get Nichols? Uh, Terry Nichols is in Supermax uh-huh. uh, right now, along with like um, the guy, the Olympic Park bomber, uh, oh, oh, and right, and the, the Boston Park. bomber, the recent Boston bomber. Oh, they're all yeah, they're all in Colorado together, hanging out at Supermax. Jeez. Wow. Yeah, so I like how back then there were the militia. Remember, like they would call them the militia. Like yeah, there and was even the Michigan militia that yeah, there's the, a lot of Montana tight. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but now well, I mean that it, it, you saw a big kind of like oh shit, these people are out there, and this yeah. was kind of bef- this was before nine eleven. Yeah, this is uh, there already been one attempt on the uh, World Trade Center in there had been two ninety yeah. three. but yeah. this like Oklahoma City until nine eleven was mm. the uh, the biggest domestic terror attack. Yeah, uh, or biggest terror attack on American soil. It's it still was a white dude. It was a white. It's still number two. Yeah. yeah, I mean it was still horrible and destructive. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm saying is like back then it was they're they're the militia, but it's like they're a terrorist organization. Essentially, so let's yeah, call yeah. Them what they yeah. are, um, and you know. You, you had a whole bunch operating kind of in the Midwest and the South to varying degrees of organization right. and what they were doing. Um, there's one organization they were talking about called, I think, the Sword and the Arm. And they're all like white power. A lot of them are white. Yeah. Or, but again, it's like kind of tangentially. The ones that were, you know, a big focus, they were like hardcore. They were going after like abortion mm-hmm. uh, clinics or. Colleges, um, right. you know, liberal professors. Yeah, more. Uh, yeah. yeah, there was a there was a Jewish um, talk radio host who was murdered in his driveway by. Uh, oh right. Um, a group of white supremacists. Oh, is that right. the thing that Eric Bogosian uh, movie is based on? Yeah, I uh, think it might so. be. Yeah, that might be, uh, yeah. That, that character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just it kind of directly connects all these crazy things mm. that were going on. Um, the uh, 1985 Murrah Building attack was prevented by they were going to shoot a missile at it they were Whoa. they were building a missile to shoot at the murder like cartoon from across the street and, oh it, and the guy who was making it it blew up in his hands well, good and uh i like the incompetence of terrorists sometimes yeah. is what stops them you know yeah you guys have seen the weather underground document yeah right? it's i haven't seen that one yet it's kind of like dealing with uh, that thing from an opposite ideology yeah but it ends up kind of being right by default, some of the similar... Well, part of the thing with that weather underground is they intended to not do... They didn't intend to have human damage. And actually, the thing that got them caught the most was when their bo- own bomb blew up okay. in their own yeah. compound. Right. But um, Well, and there, there are things were objects and not people. Yeah, they yeah. would try yeah, to not yeah. try to do a, a bomb building and Just numbers. destroy yeah. property. property. That yeah. was That was a major distinction. Yeah, that's a big difference. I do remember now in your research... After what do you? I remember, like I think Barry Levinson was going to direct. Yeah, Barry a Levinson movie. about um, about the bomb. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, uh, Barry Levinson. Uh, he's either from Oklahoma or his Baltimore, m- right? I thought. Or his yeah. mother lives oh, okay. there. There is a connection. A connection. Okay. Uh, I always remember my mom would always 
Yeah, because I remember yeah. reading, because it's always intrigued me, because I'm old enough to have, I mean, I watched the Waco burning. Yeah. I was in college, and I was watching it all happen, and I obviously remember Timothy McVeigh and, and the Murrah building bombing, and I've, oh, it's always kind of interested me, and I remember when reading stuff about Barry Levinson wanting to direct a movie. Uh -huh. about oh, yeah, I just found an AV Club article from yeah. 2011. He's gonna make a movie called OKC. It maybe just never went. Yeah. yeah, and it's 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 kind of unfortunate that you know a lot of this uh, international stuff has has you know as as tragic as it is, uh, just there's that kind of stuff is happening in the United States mm -hmm. as well. Well, you you see With a lot different of different ideologies. And it's white yeah. people. So well, they it's, get the, uh, press. It's the whole thing is it's a lot of it is very similar ideologies, yeah. but Obviously. they're coming at it from different like absolutely like Christian versus they're Muslim. But the the their goals are a lot of times similar, like almost identical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well. You could say the biggest threat the United States have comes comes from within. Absolutely, you know? terror yeah. from within. Oh, there's the script that he was working on. I guess was written by Chad. Uh, okay, the screenwriter's named Claywald, and uh, there was a clerk in the building named Chadwold who was okay. his brother. So the brother wrote the uh, oh, the script okay. and did a lot of investigative. Hmm. Stuff to put you know, to add stuff into the script. So, so would you recommend Terror from Within? I highly recommend it. Um, it's just it it opened up a lot of information I didn't know about. It um, it's it's fascinating to see. Um, you know this this came out um, I guess a year after nine eleven. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It just it it is a way to digest what is going on with uh, stuff happening internationally. Uh -huh. Because it is a, a homegrown terrorist cell right, yeah. organization uh, attack, um, you can kind of see how you can kind of get an idea of how these kinds of things can build up and really like uh, ISIS. They say you know what percentage of ISIS uh, is you know what percentage are they of the greater Muslim right. uh, worldwide community? Well, what is the percentage of white supremacists to the right. greater worldwide? white population of the mm -hmm. world it's fairly small and i think it's similar with isis mm -hmm. but they can be also be very destructive yeah. um which right. is the whole point and we don't have a lot of screenings for thankfully actually in a, in a whole nother political ideology yeah. rant screenings for people within our borders you know uh -huh. like so it's, it makes it a little more yeah you know, mischievous if you will yeah um I, well I, i'm certainly yeah i i it. i just i stumbled across it on uh on youtube um I don't know where to find it. Uh, I'm interested to see the the Waco documentary that this uh, this fella did. Yeah. Um, if it's anything like uh, uh, this one was, because just watching it, I watched it twice, and got new stuff out of it both times. It's very dense with information. A lot of people talking. A lot of people uh, who are directly connected to either these organizations or the investigation or writing about it for foreign press. Um, it's it's very good. Well, way to make me look bad on my own podcast, Will. I'm just like, oh, there's this movie about no, a rock star. Like, I'm dealing with, like, solving <laughs> internal domestic terrorism. Well, you know what? There is a thread here. We all had Southern documentaries true, with yeah. Southern <laughs> subjects, yeah, right? Yeah. So from, from a, a lost leg to a, a Southern uh, rock singer yeah. to domestic yeah. terrorism. Now, this, 
this isn't the only kind of documentary I, <laughs> I, I watch. We were talking about That's that. That's usually not even the kind of documentary we've... I mean, I feel like someone's going to pick Loose Change. Like, we're going to talk about... I'm surprised that it hasn't happened. I haven't even watched that one yet. I've never watched it. I heard about what it was about. I was like, ah, give me a break. I watched it. I was interested. I feel like there's going to be someone who's going to do it, though. Yeah. Someone's going to pick it just to be like, let's just do the weirdest thing. Yeah, I guess so. Kind of you got to dig deep in those kind of things. Well, I think I think this was great. And to wrap up, um, I did Finders Keepers, and I would recommend it. I thought it was great. You can find it on Netflix. I I did a poem as a naked person. I'd say you got to be into rock documentaries to really like this one, uh, or you got to be a big Les Blank fan. Yeah. A Terror from Within. Um, I would search it out on YouTube or any other place you can find it. Legit. Uh, it's very good. It yeah. might have a virus attached to it. Maybe. Who knows? Know. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. This was fun. I'm sure we're going to do this again. Yeah, and keep checking subdocpodcast.com. Review and rate us on iTunes and any other podcast app that you use. All right. Thanks.